Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help but one point in my discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world, from another planet outside in the universe. Well, I don't suppose we can wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us, we can bring about that realization. Hello, Crypt Keepers. Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of Cryptie. I'm glad to be here with my co-pilot on this journey through the cosmos, Ryan. How are you, Ryan? My day is going swimmingly. Boom, boom, boom. We're on the hunt for new subscribers. Please, if you haven't done so already, subscribe, like, follow, all that good stuff. Tonight's show takes us to the murky depths of the ocean around Indonesia, Malaysia, and the Philippines, where the human masters of the sea ply their superhuman abilities. What are we talking about tonight? We are talking about real mermen. Meet the Bajau Sea Nomads. They can reportedly hold their breath for 13 minutes. The Bajau people's nomadic lifestyle has given them remarkable adaptations, enabling them to stay underwater for unbelievable periods of time. The precise origin of the Bajau people remains unknown. But we do know enough to trace the basic path of their story. An ethnic group of Malay origin, the Bajau people have lived almost exclusively on the water for centuries. While other sea nomad groups have existed in history, the Bajau may be the last seafaring people still in existence today. Can you imagine that? It's like water world every day. Yeah, that would be insane to have... You know, I, I, I couldn't imagine being out on the ocean for days even in a cruise ship or something like that i i just don't think i'd like it but you know these guys are basically on what amount to like tiny chinese junk boats just floating in the mm-hmm. ocean mm-hmm. you know from place to place with no particular place to be so yeah that would be crazy yeah i get i got seasick one time just sitting on the end of a dock drinking a beer just that like slight the, the slight movements really bother my stomach for some reason. I wonder if they would be sick if they were on land and weren't moving. That's a good question. Land sickness. Very weird. Yeah. A migratory people, they drift from place to place and remain unattached in any official sense to any of the neighboring countries. Without an official state record or even much of a written history to call their own, the story of the Bajau people is rooted in their own unique folklore and traditions, with oral history passed down from generation to generation. 
One such tale that captures the thrust of their story tells the tale of a man whose actual name was Bajau. A very large man, his people would follow him into the water because his body mass would displace enough water such that the river would overflow, making it easy for people to collect fish. That's a big dude. It is. Eventually, <laughs> eventually they came to call on him for the sole purpose of helping to harvest fish. Neighboring tribes, jealous of the advantage he gave to his people, plotted to kill him by throwing poison arrows at Bajau. But he survived. The fellow tribes gave up, and the Bajau people lived on. The Bajau people travel in small flotillas through the Philippines, Malaysia, and Indonesia, hunting fish underwater for food. Over the years, practicing this lifestyle has given these people unique adaptations to swimming underwater. Many find it straightforward to dive up to 13 minutes, 200 feet below the surface of the ocean. So this, to me, kind of sounds like the... Uh, it's, it's reminding me of the Sherpas. That, mm -hmm. You know, if you go as a tourist or sort of a Western adventurer to climb these mountains, often you're taken by a Sherpa who can do the same climb like it's nothing. You know, right. you have all this survival gear and equipment and this preparation, and they're just like, you know, jeans and a an adidas jacket and they're like good to go <laughs> right yeah that's a good point i mean they're they're specialists on this planet really mm -hmm. i mean i'm sure that there's other you know uh, the uh, uh mongolian people have kind of adapted to a harsh way of life but I'm sure there's other mountaineering people out there, but I think the Sherpas kind of take the cake as being the uh, most extreme because of mm -hmm. you know where they're at. Right. Unfortunately, many disparate factors are erasing the traditional Baja way of life. Picture yourself holding your breath. How long can you last underwater? A minute? Two? See if you can hold your breath for the commercial. We'll be right back. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Hell is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. Have you ever wondered what it's like to kill a man? Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? 
If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. The Magdalena Soli episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding he was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipes so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Welcome back to Cryptique. Did you hold your breath the whole time? Uh, I don't know that I breathed, but yeah, I'll say I did. <laughs> you probably imagined yourself sitting a foot or so beneath the surface of a pool during this exercise, but consider how long you can hold your breath actively swimming as deep below the surface of the ocean as you can go. This would probably look like maybe 30 seconds of swimming down followed by a rush to the surface. But the Bajau people of the Philippines, according to reports, could quite confidently imagine swimming 200 feet below the ocean surface for up to 13 minutes, like we said before. This seems like a superhuman ability, even above and beyond what the Sherpas do. Mm -hmm. This, yeah, it sounds like a beaver to me. <laughs> I, I I think about that because we've got so I think I've said before that I live fairly near a lake there's a cove of this lake that comes down mm -hmm. in my backyard and there's a beaver chewing on one of the trees like all the bark is gone and I saw it the other day and well I say the other day it was actually before all the ice had melted here because mm -hmm. St. Louis weather has been ridiculous lately yes but I saw the beaver chilling on the side, and he saw me, and he dove under the water. And I was waiting for this thing to come back up to see where it was going. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the, the ice was fairly solid, so I didn't know where it was going to come up. And I waited for a little while, and I Googled it. I was like, how long can a beaver hold its breath? And it said something like 18 minutes. It's I was insane. like, yeah, I, I don't know where this thing's going to come back up. And I couldn't even imagine what that would be like. You know, and reading this, I mean, I can hold my breath for like a minute, minute and a half, probably. Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, I used to get the hiccups as a kid a lot. <laughs> and what I found is if I like hold, like breathe in a lot, so it expands my lungs and just hold my breath, they go away. Mm -hmm. So I've known, you know, I've had people, just friends in my life get the hiccups. And I'm like, oh, just hold your breath for like a minute and it'll, they'll go away. And they're like, how do you hold your breath for a minute? Yeah. Like, how do you not hold your breath for a minute? But then if I'm, like, swimming, if I dive down or something, I'm, I'm down for, like, 30 seconds. You know, like you said. The Bajau people's amazing abilities aren't merely the result of dedicated training, but they start swimming at an early age, of course. And I would think that 
training does have a lot to do with it. What do you think about that? Yeah, definitely. I know that if I haven't been swimming in a while, I can barely go down more than five or six feet without it bothering my ears. Like, I have to get used to it every time. And it's not just, you know, like letting the water in and letting everything equalize. It seems to be, you know, just something you have to be used to. You have to condition yourself for. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But the Bajau people have lived their lives at sea for generations, so much so that they've developed special adaptations to their oceanic lifestyle. So their lifestyle, like we said, is mainly spent on boats organized into flotillas, which I'm sure most of you are familiar with, but a flotilla would basically be a large amount or even a small amount of boats tied together, and they're just kind of drifting, right? Mm -hmm. So they make their living primarily off of fishing, and their longboats or houseboats are known as lepas. So... Do we want to talk a little bit about their lifestyle? I mean, it's about as basic as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. I would imagine that they have a way to purify water on their boats, and some of them may even have, like, little, you know, gas stoves or things like that. But for the most part, it's spearfishing and eating fish. So, I mean, that's pretty basic, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds good to me, too. I like fish. <laughs> in a given day, a Bajau individual might spend five hours underwater in total, where they are complete masters of their environment. The only equipment they use are handcrafted wooden goggles and a spear gun. In order to facilitate their free diving lifestyle, some Bajau deliberately puncture their eardrums to deal with the intense pressure they experience underwater. You bleed from your ears and nose, and you have to spend a week lying down because of the dizziness, said a Bajau man to the Guardian. After that, you can dive down without pain. Bajau who undergo this procedure tend to become hard of hearing in their old age. Huh? Simply diving frequently also helps them become more capable swimmers. The lung wall and abdomen become more compliant and diaphragms become stretchier. But researchers have discovered that the Bajau also possess a useful genetic trait. Specifically, the Bajau possess variants of the PDE10A gene and their BDKRB2 gene, variants that are absent from their closest neighbors, the Saluan, who do not live their lives at sea. This change manifests itself in a few ways. For one, Bajau have spleens that are 50% larger than the Saluan. Spleens aren't necessary for survival, but they do play a role in the immune system and act as a kind of filter for the blood, removing old red blood cells and recycling iron. But crucially, the spleen holds a reserve of blood. When mammals dive underwater, the spleen contracts, distributing the reserved oxygen-rich blood throughout the body. So a bigger spleen means more available oxygen when diving. Furthermore, the genetic variance that the Bajau possess is associated with another feature of the diving response, peripheral vasoconstriction, although this phenomenon hasn't been directly observed by researchers. Well, let's talk about the spleen releasing oxygen-rich blood when mammals dive. I did not know that, and that's interesting. I am going to have, like, I mean, when I go swimming, if I go underwater, I don't really, like, focus on anything. I just hold my breath and do what I'm going to do. But I'm interested to, like, you know, completely submerge 
dive down a few feet and then try and pay attention to what my body feels like. Like if there is this, you know, burst of like oxygen rich blood that just kind of, you know, it, it, the article makes it seem like it just kind of forces itself out in, in mm-hmm. you know, in a way that you could actually feel it in your body if you're looking for it. Yeah, maybe. Like it would be squeezed out of you and you might feel that pressure or that release. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I just think that's interesting. The unique genetic profile of the Bajau may enable them to better constrict non-critical areas of their vascular system. In essence, this means that less blood is used in the more external parts of their body, such as their limbs, and more blood is sent to critical areas like the heart, lungs, and brain, enabling longer dives. The Bajau have also developed remarkable underwater vision. These skills give them the advantage of being able to hunt for harder-to-come-by sea treasures like pearls and sea cucumbers. Gross. I was about to say, are sea cucumbers really treasures? Right. (laughs) Each day, divers will spend hours underwater, during which time they will capture between 2 and 18 pounds of fish. And the only thing they wear to make dives easier are wooden goggles, no wetsuits or flippers. In addition to diving, they use nets and lines to fish, as well as handmade spear guns for spear fishing. So, can you imagine, and I don't know why they haven't done it, because, you know, flippers are fairly easy to get. Uh, I'm sure Amazon delivers to flotillas in the middle of the (laughs) ocean, right? Just send a drone. But could you imagine, you've used flippers, right? Uh, yeah, like once a long time ago. Only because a friend of mine had some at the beach or, or whatever we were doing. When you swim with flippers, I mean, it's you're like four times faster, right? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine some of these guys, if they got a hold of some flippers? They'd probably just crush themselves. They'd be bringing they'd... sharks in and stuff. <laughs> they go down so far, though, they'd be like, all right, I'm going to get down 200 feet, and then boom, they're down 800 feet, and they just oh. get squished. That's true. So unfortunately, as seems to be the case with a lot of tribes and, I guess, segregated groups of people that do not harm the environment, like we talked about the Maasai people in the Amazon rainforest and then the Bajau people, Although they do use a chemical sometimes when they fish, basically they're not doing anything negative to the environment, right? Mm -hmm. These groups are getting squeezed out and it's sadly, it's going to be a matter of time before they are pushed out of existence. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe they'll go, maybe they should go dock on Sentinel Island. They can kind of, uh, live under the radar there i i've wondered that before how these nomadic groups can survive you know when it's so hard to move around or really do anything without id and permanent residence and yeah you know all these things that most of us take for granted well look at it like this we're all numbers these people are names you know what i mean yeah like they have a number to identify them and unfortunately, you know, the government, the world government, the whatever, wherever you're at, looks at you as a number. Yeah. 
but I guess it's better to be a number and still be around than have a name and get squished out. That's a... That's probably the worst t-shirt slogan I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) So the nomadic lifestyle of the Baojiao people has been dying out for years, and there are a lot of factors that are working against them. First off, nomadism itself isn't compatible with modern states, kind of like we were saying. And eventually, I guess they're going to have to find a place to call home. They'll be residents of... The Philippines or Malaysia, or, you know, whatever small islands that I'm not familiar with are out there. And they'll probably have, you know, they'll, they'll be like, oh, you got 18 pounds of fish? Well, we want 10 pounds of it. So I guess they do have the option of stilt villages. I, I don't know if this is real, but there were games and movies and stuff that I remember from probably 10 or 20 years ago mm-hmm. where like certain parts of Asia... I think it was supposed to be like around Hong Kong or maybe even mainland China Mm -hmm. where they depicted like these fishing boats, kind of like what we're talking about here, where they would just, you know, maybe you don't tie directly to shore. Maybe you just tie to the nearest boat and it becomes almost like this floating city. And a lot of these people basically never leave. What's more, some Bajau engage in fishing practices that directly harm the environments they rely on. Some divers crush up potassium cyanide tablets into plastic bottles full of seawater, which can then be squirted at fish to stun them for an easy catch. I don't know. That I mean, that sounds really risky to me. Yeah, that does sound risky because you're in that water too. Right. It's, it's like uh, trying to kill a grizzly bear by running up on it with a grenade, but you know, you got to make sure you're out of the way. Yeah. I don't know, but I guess it works for them. Yeah, that does sound super risky. Like, when you think of an animal using poison or venom, it's usually a poison or venom that they are not affected by. Right. Like, this, we are... Unless that's one of their advantages that we don't know about yet, they're they're immune to this somehow. Yeah, that's a a good point, but I doubt it. it. It's probably... You know, we think of, like, swimming up to a fish. We could get 10 feet from it and, you know, shoot the potassium cyanide at them, and it it would just go all over the place. But these guys swim up on fish, you know, at fish speed and probably just have a little bit in there enough to not even kill the fish, but just to stun it. So, Mm. But, you know, that damages sensitive coral reefs that form the environment for many of the fish species that they rely on for food. So maybe they are harming the environment. You know, I had said earlier that, you know, they were, they were not, but I guess if, you know, depending on how many of them are using this potassium cyanide could actually be damaging the reefs that they live on. But I would think that the sheer fact that there's so few of these people that it's not having an impact like we see with uh, larger populations, you know, industrialized nations and stuff. So Right, like a shipwreck or a tanker leaking or something like that. So industrial fishing is also depleting the fish stocks. But, you know, it it seems like this subsistence lifestyle could just go on forever. I mean, you're, you're living hand to mouth day by day. Give us this day our daily bread. They're getting what they need to survive. So... Mm Altogether, the changing world is quickly erasing the Bajau way of life. For several reasons, it's possible that the current generation could be the last able to sustain themselves off the water. It's sad. 
Yeah, it is sad. It's I guess I find like ways of life, practices, even things that were used in one way no longer being used that way, like really, really interesting. You know, mm-hmm. like like how languages can just go dead. You know, right. there, there's that story that in World War Two there were these two guys who were part of the same like Native American some sort of Native American tribe. Uh-huh. And there were these units that were communicating with each other using them. Right. Wind talkers. Like they could speak this yeah, they could use this language that nobody else was, was speaking, so there was no encryption to break. Right. It's like they had a message to pass, so just put these guys on the radio and let them talk. And it doesn't matter if anybody hears them because nobody will be able to translate it. Yeah. Like, that's really interesting. I mean, even stuff like I love channels like The Proper People, where they explore abandoned places because it's so interesting to see the way people used to live. Mm-hmm. Some of these homes that are abandoned, and it's like, yeah, these were servants' quarters, and this was this, and this was that. And it's like some of these families that you think of as being unbelievably rich maybe they were but a lot of these old school mansions would have basically apartments in them it'd be like maybe you're the father you're like 70 and your children are in their 40s and they're also living in the house and they have their own little sort of apartment area like a bedroom with a sitting room and all this other stuff and then their kids are living there you know, it's a totally different way of living than what we're used to now, where we kind of have smaller, more individual places. But, yeah, to take that back to this, like, this is a totally different way. Like, like I was starting to talk about earlier, and I don't know if we got cut off with some of our technical difficulties. Some of the games and movies that I used to play and watch, they would show... I remember one game in particular showed this sort of floating city where all of these little sort of houseboats were tied up and they'd be used for fishing or cooking or gathering or whatever else. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the, the whole concept in the game was some of these people never left. You know, they were always on the water. Like some of the boats would go out and fish and do whatever, but they kind of had everything they needed right there. Mm-hmm. I think they were supposed to be moored somewhere near like Hong Kong in this game. But... It was just this like really weird part of this game where you get drawn in by these people and you go kind of, you know, it was a very story-driven game, an old-school Dreamcast game. And, yeah, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder if anybody actually lives like that, and apparently they kind of do. Yeah. Although this was sort of in between. Like, they were, they relied on a modern sort of settlement not everything they had was handmade, but they also were not totally integrated into the lifestyle or culture of the land they were closest to. Right. I mean, I got to admit, my parents, you know, when they were in Florida going down there to visit, or when my brother was living down there too, like... You thought about living on a canoe in the ocean and fishing with cyanide <laughs> tablets? <laughs> Funny enough, that specific (laughs) scenario didn't really occur to me. But, I mean, yeah, I would go out on some of these, like, tours and whatever and, and, you know, be out on, like, dolphin watching cruises or whatever. And just have these moments of, like, why am I going back to St. Louis? Yeah. Like, I can be down here by the ocean, whatever. But then I'm down there every single day. There's a rainstorm for 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. There's hurricanes. 
when it gets cold in the winter, iguanas just drop out of the trees. It's like, oh yeah, these are the reasons why I don't live down here. And the traffic. Oh my god, the traffic. Alligators. And then you're surrounded by Florida men. You know what? (laughs) You know, all the news articles, a Florida man does this. (laughs) Here's my take. Florida is a cross between Missouri and California. So... With a lot mm. of New York thrown in. That's my okay. take on Florida. I love it. I buy that. It works for me. So. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Yeah, I, I would definitely move to Florida. But but yeah, uh, speaking of Florida, I mean, you know, I, I had that feeling of like, why would I want to go back to not being by an ocean? Right. And then there, there are advantages to not being by an ocean. Yeah. But I've also gone like... I, I, driving back from one of these trips, like one of the times that I drove, I stopped at this gas station that had like a restaurant attached to it that was way up in the mountains somewhere. I forget where, but I just remember like, you know, going in there and, and getting my stuff and doing whatever I was doing and kind of hearing people talk like, Oh, I'm going to this place tonight. What are you guys doing? And just being like, where do they live around here? You know, I can see, I can only see like 20 houses in this area. Like, and this seems to be the only business. And then I was thinking like, is this, is this all there is? And what is life in a community, like a little tiny mountain community? What is that like? I don't know. I'm thinking of the legend of Mick Dodge. That guy that like lived out in the woods and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Where (laughs) where they follow him. Yeah. Where they follow My favorite part was they follow him and he's picking uh, mushrooms. Mm Mm-hmm to eat and they go back he's like well, first we need something else and he goes to this tree and he pulls out of this knot hole a bottle of ketchup <laughs> and he starts he puts like ketchup in his hand and he's like dipping them in his hand and eating them and they're like oh you use ketchup and he's like yeah i'm not an animal <laughs> well unfortunately the fate of the bajau people probably will not be funny uh we hate to see these groups you know getting kind of eliminated one by one Um, we are hopeful that maybe some country will kind of pull a sentinel island with these guys and say you can be you know protected you can say you're part of our country or whatever if you want to live you know on the water on our shores that's fine Uh, that would be wonderful to see something like that happen so let's get it together philippines malaysia and indonesia yeah, I think there should be like special dispensation for people to live some traditional lifestyle. You know, just like opt out of whatever the modern society is doing. I mean, I, I can get it from a perspective that if you are nomadic and don't really recognize international borders, that's potentially dangerous. Yeah. There's a potential that you could be like smuggling something or what, or or there's somebody with you who's pretending yeah. to be one of you that's just yeah. tagging along. But terrorism. I mean, just let people do their thing. Yeah, I mean, unless it's terrorism or drugs or whatever. Then sure, then sure. Don't, don't do your thing. <laughs> I would be fine if they were to grant you know some sort of uh, multinational citizenship, and they were just required to be able to have you know coast guards of whatever country you know come in 
check their boats out, make sure they're not smuggling drugs, you know, just the same sort of laws that would apply to any boat in, in your, you know, on your shores. Mm-hmm. But let's work to not eliminate the lifestyle. I mean, we, well, I guess the culture, not so much the lifestyle, but, uh, you know, we look back in history and we talk about like, oh, well, you know, the Native Americans have lost a lot of their culture and their heritage and uh, indigenous people around the world. But then we see opportunities like this to help these people preserve something that, you know, is wonderful and different. And we don't take those opportunities but yet we will still in 50 years be like, oh, man, that was a shame. I, w- I wish we would have done something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They, there should be like a show about them or something. It's real, real interesting to see a group that lives so differently that they are physically changing. Mm-hmm. And they are capable of things that seem superhuman to us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, would you do five days with the Bajau people? I don't know, man. My, uh, I get motion sick really easily. That's my okay. only problem, really. Like that, that it's one of my greatest, like, failings that's not really. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just something. Yeah, it's just something built into me. Like, I, I told you I flew like four times within 48 hours, mm-hmm. like, a, like a week or two ago. And I felt like I was moving because there was a storm system from St. Louis. Like, all, like, up and down the country. Mm-hmm. Like, I was going to Florida for a wedding, and it was just stormy and turbulent the whole way, and I was so sick. I didn't throw up. I've never thrown up on a plane, thank God. <laughs> Although, I did look for the air sickness bag, and there wasn't one, and I was like, oh, man, this girl in the end better be able to move quick if this needs to happen. I'm going to bolt up this aisle, but... Well, throw that out then. Throw that out. If if you weren't motion sickness, horrifically seasick. <laughs> Although here's the thing, I don't get motion sick on a boat if the boat is if there's a lot of movement. Oh, I get it's, you. It, on it's the on the water, yeah, on the water, it's always been like little subtle movements that bother me a lot. Because mm-hmm. you can like, adjust yourself when there's you know. Uh, big waves or whatever you're you're like active in yeah but yeah if you're just sitting there i i could see that but but if you didn't would you do five days with the bajau i might try to do if i wasn't locked into a full five days i'd probably <laughs> try it even even if i got seasick otherwise yeah i'd take like a, a bottle of dramamine and just give it a shot and if i did get seasick i'd just jump in the water i mean yeah. not to like chum the waters that way you know but <laughs> Just to be like, I, I'm not seasick when I'm in. Like I was mm-hmm. saying earlier, I was sitting on the end of a dock, that a floating dock, and it made me seasick. And I just jumped in. And as soon as I was in the water, it's like, my body's like, oh, all of a sudden this makes sense. We're cool now. And it just went away. What about you? Would you do it? I gotta be honest with you. I don't think I could. I, I just... I wouldn't want to be away from land for that long. Uh, perhaps if if they were kind of like docked up, you know, in a flotilla, like in a bay, I would do it. But I would not want to be out in open water, you know, to where I couldn't swim to land if I needed to. That's I, I don't know. I just don't I don't think that's something I would want to do. I would, you know, love to go out for a day 
if you know like hey 6 a.m we're shipping out we'll be back by you know two in the afternoon i'd be like yeah let's do it but no not overnight i don't think i could fall asleep on a smaller boat like that i would be just worried that there's a wave coming to tip me over or something like that so yeah i i don't know i've never slept on a boat i have no yeah. idea what that would be like i as a kid one of my dad's friends had like a like a speedboat kind of thing had a little cabin mm-hmm. underneath and i remember me and that guy's kid just like playing game boys or whatever underneath and you know being bounced around but it's like I never thought what would it be like to try to sleep in this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if it was just sitting there getting rocked in the water. Probably, I don't know. Would it be comfortable because it's like being rocked like a baby? Well, I guess that would all depend on the how hard the rocking is. Yeah. Yeah. If it's hard rock like the Eagles, it might be fine, but if it's hard rock like Iron Maiden, you'd be in trouble. <laughs> all right. I like that. I let that one go. <laughs> All right. Uh, the like being worried about what's going to happen when you're trying to sleep. I, I guess that ha- would have to do with how exposed you are. Yeah. I I was supposed to before I went to grad school. After my undergrad, I was supposed to go into the navy. Uh oh. And specifically, I was trying to go into the submarine navy. Hmm. Because it don't think I could do a submarine. Yeah, well, the pay, you know, some some folks from the Navy told, because that's what I wanted to do, and some folks Mm -hmm. told me, like, submarine Navy, they get the best pay, they get the best food, because they're, you know, they're stuck underwater all the time. And I had heard some people talk (laughs) about... Gotta take it easy on these guys, man. Yeah, I had heard some people talk about, like, oh, yeah, it's not that bad when you're underwater. Like, you don't hit these rough currents too often. And then I wound up talking to a guy who had been stationed on a submarine for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. and he said that being on a submarine when you do hit like rough waters or mm-hmm. some kind of current or whatever he said it's like the walls and ceiling are angry at you and are trying to hurt you like <laughs> he said like you you don't know what's coming cuz you can't see or feel anything right just all of a sudden everything turns and like you know some piece of pipe in the ceiling or in the walls coming at you because huh. everything's twisting and they were saying like in particular showers are really bad because it's a really small enclosed space and it's pretty gross to imagine what like 40 dudes do in a submarine shower i <laughs> don't want to touch the walls anyway and if the walls are like coming at you every you know ugh. so thank god for grad school <laughs> it kept me yeah. out of there <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know if it would be like that i feel like i don't know maybe it'd be kind of relaxing who knows Maybe that's how they they do their lifestyle. Like maybe that's how they keep it going. They have some kind of tourism. You just get rocked to sleep every night. No, they have some kind of tourism. Like let let rich oh, people yeah. from like their you know, eco tourism is big. Yeah, have people come like okay, well here's our little village. There's however many of us, and here's like our one or two tourist boats that are maybe done up. We'll put them on Airbnb and see what happens. Just get some attention brought to on that one. Problem solved. That's all we've got for you on the amazing real-life mermen, the Bajau people. 
Thanks for listening to Cryptique, and don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend where you hear all of these amazing stories. Send us case suggestions at crypticpodcast at gmail.com and stay locked into Cryptique for future episodes like the Loveland UFO Incident and Karaoke Rage. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. <laughs>